0: And I think it's not enough to kind of just have a general sense. Oh, yeah, my mind is reactive. How can I chill out? Which th- that's, that's a good first step. So this is where mindfulness is so important. We can, we can really pinpoint, you know, what it is that's happening on a moment to moment level in our minds and, and in our hearts.
1: Hey everyone, it's mind rolling. I'm back with a favorite, favorite person of mine from way back and of Ram and and a new favorite person, not that new anymore, my son Noah Marcus, uh, who is... um, I'm basically a devotee of Joseph at this point because every time I say I'm going to do something with Joseph, okay, I'd love to come along on that ride. Um, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna. First of all, we haven't seen you in a while, and uh, uh-huh. I know you're just back from California and um, ensconced in the woods of Barry. <laughs> Right, in, in the quite warm woods of Barry oh, these days. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah.
0: well, Not unlike many other places these days.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's quite something what's going on, adding to the uh, the experience of being overwrought that many people, are, most of us in one way or the other are certainly mm-hmm. dealing with. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to, because we haven't talked in a while, and uh, my just thinking about really the current state of affairs, which is really tough from the environmental issues that we are directly experiencing these days uh, to the vast divide in this country, the polarization. And that that's something that, um, yeah, I want to talk about and get your feedback a little bit. Uh, just there's such vast... Uh, uncaring on both sides of whatever the issue it is, and then I started to think. I I interviewed uh, Joseph a, uh, or chatted with a monk from the Thich Nhat Hanh tradition, and he uh, he said I spent uh, twenty years being the perfect meditator, perfect mindfulness, perfect uh, acolyte of of Thich Nhat Hanh of Thay. And, but there was that divide inside myself never disappeared, no matter how hard I tried. And he, he said, so at one point, I guess he fell in love with, I don't know if it was a nun or something, but, uh, he fell in love and he got married. He said, after that, after he kind of let go of this holding on to make something happen, then that divide, uh, Fell away and things unified within himself. And he was basically talking about we are all polarized inside ourselves between uh, that I that we relate to on a moment to moment basis and true nature, whatever you want to call that. Ramdas would call it soul. We have that great thing, by the way, Joseph, of you and Ramdas talking about. Um, uh, um, emptiness and love remember <laughs> right. that that yeah, you I did do. Over? yeah <laughs> yeah it's going to be actually part of this uh, wonderful retreat first time in the east coast that we're doing a retreat actually in the hills of north carolina okay. and that's going to be one of the segments that we're going to talk about it's about the uh, uh, the intersection of bhakti and buddhism yeah. which yeah. right yeah. we yes. spent a lot of time yeah. on when all you and all the friends yes. came, would come over Not many people equate emptiness and love. So it's it's an
0: interesting opening.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. But just in terms of that inner, the way that we are divided and separated inside ourselves has to be a, it has to reflect on how we see and and how we relate with the outside world, no?
0: Yeah. Yeah. But that's starting off, I think, in a... uh, very high place of understanding, you know, like the understanding that uh, we're all one, right? And I think it's more useful uh, to really look at the nitty-gritty of uh, how the divide gets strengthened within us. In other words, to see the dynamics of how it's working within ourselves rather than as a kind of uh, abstraction, uh, of unity, uh, because we could all agree that that's a good idea, Yeah, but then <laughs> what to do, you know, how to, how to accomplish it. Uh, and for me, it comes down to something pretty simple, at least as a starting point. Uh, and that is, and I see it in myself, which is, you know, we're all our own best laboratory for understanding what's mm. going on. So when I look at my own mind, when I when I see myself polarized, uh, I really see it has to do with the level of reactivity in my mind. You know, I see things going on that I don't like and I don't agree with and I think are harmful and then I can get really upset in a reactive way and that just furthers the divide, <laughs> you know, yeah. us and them and good and bad. Uh so I think the first step is looking at, in a very specific way, really, really becoming mindful and looking at uh, how the reactivity is manifesting. Very specifically, you know, is it in is it in the thoughts we have? Is it in the emotions that we're feeling? Um, so that we become mindful of that pattern which is pretty common i think in many of us you know the reactive mind and then it's beginning to explore and there are there are really ways to do this to explore how we can let go of the reactivity so that we can come to a place of i don't know you might call it wise responsiveness coming from a balanced place, coming from an equanimous place rather than a reactive place. Uh, And right here is it's how we can develop more equanimity in the face of everything. And then the next step, I think, is um, being aware of the danger of equanimity or a facsimile of equanimity leading to resignation. Mm. You know, because we might come to okay, we're we we've dealt with our own reactivity into some kind of a space that may look like equanimity, but it's not really. Yeah, and we become just resigned and apathetic or you know, something in that in that range. So here is where I found this really interesting. To see that precisely here is, is where compassion comes in. If we can let go of our reactivity and then really open to the situation that's there. With the question, and we've talked about this before, I think and it's you know, it's the title of one of the books that Ramdas and Paul Gorman wrote, How Can I Help? Yeah, I love that. I love that phrase because it just makes very immediate uh, the question and the possibility of a whole range of responses that are coming from compassion rather than us just venting through our reactive mind, which really doesn't help and it just furthers the divisiveness. Um, And underneath all of this, Mindfulness is the key. Mm. If we're not mindful, we're not aware of our reactivity. We don't really know how to come to equanimity. Uh, And mindfulness also plays a really key role in the development of compassion. Mm.
1: You know, you just talked about... Many of us do get into a place where through practice and mindfulness... We have tremendous awareness of our motivation factors in, in terms of every phenomena that is uh, approaching or that we are interacting with, and that we we is that thing of fooling ourselves, that we create a mirage about how we have overcome that reactive nature. You just mentioned that a little bit before. can you maybe some examples of of that would be great. Well, I'm not sure what you meant in terms of uh, that when you said before that uh when you seem to have a handle on react reactivity to phenomenon but uh you're fooling yourself. You are not completely in a place where uh y- that equanimity is not solid. Maybe that's it.
0: Well, well there are a couple of things. Mm-hmm. One is um, and this is kind of diving a little deeper into kind of how our minds work mm. when When we find ourselves at first being quite reactive to <laughs> the major <laughs> the major issues that are going on, which are a lot you know yeah. it's not hard to understand why people might be feeling overwhelmed by it all because. there's a lot that's overwhelming Uh, so we we might we might um become aware of that reactivity in a general sense right and maybe that gives us a little bit of space in our minds but i think to really um come to a place of real clarity with it all the reactivity is happening because we are identifying with certain thought patterns or certain emotional patterns, right? And it, that, it's the identification with those that is the reactivity. So, those, those um, thoughts and emotions are going to arise, you know, unless, <laughs> unless we're a saint, <laughs> given, given all the turmoil in the world they are going to arise so then the question is how are we relating to them and i think it's not enough to kind of just have a general sense oh yeah my mind is reactive how can i chill out which that's that's a good first step but then to really look quite specifically okay what particular thought is arising in the mind that i'm getting caught by you know and it might be a thought of blame or condemnation or Frustration or whatever it might be, but it's something specific. It, it's not simply uh, an abstract uh, sense of overwhelm. Right? The overwhelm is happening because we're getting lost in or identified with that particular thought or that particular emotion. Right. So this is where mindfulness is so important. We can, we can really pinpoint you know, what it is that's happening on a moment-to-moment level in our minds. And and in our hearts, really, um, if we can do that, that, that mindfulness itself, I think, helps to stabilize the equanimity, mm. Be- because we're really we're really dealing with it. Uh, we're dealing with the causes of the reactivity, rather than the simple. Perception, oh yeah, my mind is really reactive. <laughs> you know, we're drilling down a little deeper and seeing the specifics of it. Mm. Um, yeah, and and then, then there are ways of furthering uh, the stabilizing uh, ability, mm. the, the ability to stabilize the equanimity. Uh, so it's not just kind of a momentary dropping into a place of relative balance but a place where we can actually
1: Uh, abide you know for longer periods of time yeah and i and also i think it's probably good to point out to everybody that it's not all or nothing you know you don't just (laughs) in a moment (laughs) stop completely reacting you know it may as you said it may be relative you know within that moment but just the uh, awareness, as Ram Dass called it, just witnessing it uh, is very, very helpful, even though it, 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 it's maybe not that stabilized. Right. And even though you still may be chasing it, uh, chasing the emotion or the thought, but just, just even a given a moment of awareness and mindfulness is, is, a, is a big uh, step. Yeah. And it it doesn't have to be. Oh shit! You know, three <laughs> minutes later, I was just doing the same damn thing as if I never learned that lesson. Right. But well,
0: but... I I would add something to. I think it needs something more than awareness slash mindfulness. I think that's that's necessary, but not sufficient. Mm. <laughs> yeah, because I think that we need to develop an understanding that comes from being aware. And that's really what I was talking about earlier. That, yeah, we want to be aware of it, but then understand what's the, what's the mechanism by which it's arising in the mind, mm. you know, the reactor. And that's what I was talking before about just really seeing the identification with very particular thoughts and very particular emotions. So the understanding piece of how reactivity comes about I think is the key to uh, working with it in a more sustained way. Mm. Yeah. And I want to just uh, uh, reiterate what you said. No matter how much we understand, it's not going to be a momentary, (laughs) okay, reactivity all gone. (laughs) It's definitely an ongoing process. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Many lifetimes, really. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully not too many. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, I uh, turn yeah, it I, over I, to you.
2: I have something connected to that. Uh, yeah. you, you started to talk about apathy there for, for a second. Mm. And I, I want to know about dealing with a sense of hopelessness around all of this, around... Yeah our political stuff and around climate change these big picture things where it's just like yeah it's it's overwhelming there's no doubt about that yeah. and it gets to a point where it's so overwhelming you shut down around it,
0: right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's easier just to say, yeah, okay, we're all going to, you know, most people are going to be dead soon enough from climate change. There'll be a few of us, maybe we'll be lucky to survive. Who knows? But we're going that way. So right, right. down goes the ship. I'm going to go watch another sunset.
0: Um, <laughs> but
2: yeah, yeah, how, yeah, how do we deal with well, that? Well,
0: I, I think that that's, you know, what I, what I uh, just mentioned briefly before that, that, uh that question which can uh be the expression of compassion uh, how can i help but i think the important thing there is it i'm going to use this this term quite loosely but it it's almost like a koan you know so it it's not necessarily uh, having some grand idea about it all, but I, almost trusting one's heart and intuition. If we hold that question and realize that it may be in really small things, small and local. You know, how can I help just in my little world? Or it might be some people are really visionary, you know, and maybe they do you know, come up with a way of helping that's on a much larger scale. But we shouldn't... It may be that some people get discouraged if they're not visionary, you know, and because of that, then they feel helpless or hopeless. But I found that when I really asked myself that question, there's a whole range of scale you know, in which a response might come in, it might be something really small and local, like, I don't know, supporting a local food bank. (laughs) You know, that's just one little example of many things that we can do in our own own little world. Uh, And so I'll just, uh, a little sidebar here. So there is a formal compassion meditation, right? Just like there is metta, the loving kindness, there's a way of focusing on compassion. And it's pretty interesting. The way one starts with the compassion meditation is to think of somebody in an extreme example of suffering. So that's where we start because... That's an easy situation to evoke compassion. And then it's just the repetition. So we hold that image in our minds. And it's the simple repetition of the phrase, may you be free of suffering. That's just one phrase. So it becomes like a mantra of compassion. You know, May you be free of suffering, holding, holding the vivid image of it. Now, what I found so interesting about doing this practice is that here we are. So I I was holding this image of a lot of suffering, repeating that phrase. And even though the whole field was a field of suffering with my intention, may you be free of it, it was very uplifting. So one might think, oh, if I start really coming close to the suffering that's out there, it's going to be further overwhelming. But actually coming close to it with that intention, you know, may you be free of suffering or how can I help or whatever phrase really resonates within oneself. Even though we're coming close to the suffering and in fact that's needed, it's uplifting when our inner space is coming from that place of compassionate care. So it really transforms the feeling of overwhelm to the feeling of, one might say, confidence or uh, uplift, because we are responding in a, I would say, in a truthful way to the situation. You know? And this is, where, this is really where mindfulness comes in because, you know, as we all know, sometimes it's not easy to come close to suffering or to open to it. And we have a lot of inner defenses, mm-hmm. you know, of just, I don't want to deal with it or push it away or, just, you know, let me, let me go to the movies or something to distract ourselves And so we need we need a we need a discipline really, which trains us that it's okay to feel the unpleasantness. It's okay to feel the suffering, because the, there's a lot of conditioned tendency, which is we only want what's pleasant and we don't want to experience anything unpleasant. And this is what most people think, and you can understand why, but. It's natural state of things. You know, of course I want what's pleasant and don't want what's unpleasant. <laughs> but that closes us off to a compassionate response. Mm. Because compassion arises from the willingness to come close to the suffering. Mm. And that's why the mindfulness meditation is a training in this. Because, you know, as you and the listeners know, um, you know, in meditation... It's there's some discomfort or pain in the body. It's okay to feel it. You know, so we're training ourselves. Yeah, this is okay. I can come close to this, mm. and then we can apply that to, you know, the, the suffering in the world. So uh, th- this is why it's so interesting to me how mindfulness, equanimity, and compassion—kind of the, it's a trio of qualities in the mind that can really help us address what's going on these days. Yeah. And it's not easy. <laughs> so I don't want to suggest that, okay, we hear all this and it's a practice, you know, and, and it takes like
1: practice. Like anything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, boy, when I come too close to some forms of suffering, my my heart just shuts down. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a dead spot in there where I've, Force all those things that I don't want to feel
0: and yeah, don't want to yeah. deal
2: with, and yeah. that's it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't
0: So what I don't I would know suggest- how to get there. <laughs> well, the, the way to get there is in small steps. So, so you, you don't necessarily want to walk into fire, you know, but you can come close to the fire and begin to feel the heat of it, you know, and really watch, watch for that point where it becomes too much for for that time okay this i see the mind beginning to close down okay so we might want to take a little time coaching ourselves a bit okay can i relax can i open mm-hmm. but at a certain point it is too much you know and, and we have to pull back we have to create a little rest for the mind you know and then at another time again we come close as close as we can and uh, so I think there is a way to do it gradually, not you know, not necessarily diving into the heart yeah. of it all. Back to
1: all or nothing, new. Yeah, ex- yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, and, that's
2: uh, that's our mindset, right? Yeah, it's
1: yeah, yeah, our, yeah, yeah. Well, we got to be winners here in the West. <laughs> it's winning and proving, so, and, and,
0: and that, that also just ties into, uh, in a way, demonizing. Others, you know, who particularly Easier. if we really think that they're doing something really harmful or whatever. And another another line that has been really helpful for me when I find myself getting reactive, and it could be it could be just in a very individual interpersonal interaction, or it could be something you know more global but what i found really useful is is when i ask myself the question well why do these other people think the way they do instead of jumping to condemnation or judgment again it comes to an understanding well they have this viewpoint they have this perspective why what and just that begins to break down the us and them, Mm. right? Even though it doesn't mean we agree with their perspective, but at least there's some understanding, oh, this is why they may be feeling the way they do or acting the way they do. Uh, And that, again, opens up at least the possibility of some communication. You know, if Mm. there's just judgment and reactivity and condemnation, that's not going anyplace.
1: Yeah, Yeah. as we are seeing so yeah, you know, yeah. glowing yeah. Cinematech color right yeah. now. Yeah. Oh, boy.
2: Well, um, co- connected to, to that and to all the polarization stuff, I, I wanted to ask you about, uh, this is something I, I heard you talk about a little bit in one of the talks uh, I, I was taking notes on, um, right listening. Mm. Uh, can you <laughs> yeah. can you talk about right listening in I terms love. of
0: yeah. polarization? Yeah. yeah, a little yeah. bit. So <laughs> I'm glad you asked that because this is one of my favorites. <laughs>
2: oh,
0: really, it, it, it's a teaching of the Buddha, but mm. it it sets a very high bar, uh, which we will probably not reach, but okay. at least it points to a direction. So he he, he was giving this one discourse, and he said people may address you or talk to you in one of five ways. And I'm not sure I have all, remember all five, but it's basically this. They may speak what's true or what's not true. They may speak gently or harshly. They may speak with an intent to harm or an intent to benefit. They... Anyway, it goes, they may speak with a heart of inner hate or a heart of kindness. So he goes down this list of just the different ways people may communicate with us. But then he says, regardless of how people are speaking to you, you should abide with a heart of loving kindness, concern for their welfare, and then goes on and on like that. And so I just try to imagine myself in that situation, you know, where somebody's lying to me, wanting to harm me, you know, and speaking angrily and harshly. Oh, abide with a mind, a heart of loving kindness, concern for their welfare. It's not easy. But even just having that as a reference point for a direction... And again it points to okay, when people are speaking to us, can we be mindful? Can we, can we be listening with mindfulness? So that we're registered, we're not we're not pretending that they're saying the truth, or we're not pretending that they're not angry or wanting to harm, we're seeing it clearly. But we're not reactive to it, right? And, and in fact, there is the possibility, you know, when our minds are hmm, in a place of relative calm, I think really at that time it is possible to start feeling compassion, you know, because in those situations, if we're not buying into our own reaction, it's not hard to see the suffering that people are in. You know why do why do people communicate in really harmful ways? It's you know part of this is also it's not only mindful listening, uh, and this I've, I've learned this a lot in on me- retreats and meeting with people, you know, in, in all kinds of states. And it's not only listening, but it's also seeing mindfully, because just as I just said, sometimes, when people are you know speaking or acting in a really unskillful way, when I look at them, I'm just looking mindfully, as I said, the suffering becomes so obvious. It's not even hidden. Mm. You can just see it, you can see it in their bodies, in their faces. And it's what I found, and it was really quite remarkable because in situations where I might have been reactive with that person, as soon as I could see the suffering, it was amazing. In the moment, it transformed into compassion. It was not something I even had to think about. It was just by seeing the suffering, instead of reacting to whatever they were saying or how they were saying it. So there's some great possibilities for real transformation
1: Mm.
0: in these challenging in these challenging interactions. And is it (laughs) one more? (laughs) The Dalai Lama had this great line. Uh, I think it comes from Shantideva, actually. You know you should honor your enemies. They teach you patience. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's really easy to be patient and loving, you know, when, when people are loving, loving yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. The test yeah. is when it's
1: challenging. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to, just going on that line of, of the power of listening, uh, even one step, uh, further, I think it was Simone Weil, the French writer. Mm-hmm. who said, "The most generous act mm-hmm. that you can perform with another human being is giving them your total attention." Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Is it? yeah. That, uh, that just reminded me of that. Yeah. And then you quoted uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Uh, well, it's not a quote. It's actually when you said, "When you meet." the yeah. dalai lama it feels like you are one of the most important person yeah. in the world yeah. in that moment because the quality of his attention on you in that moment is so complete yeah, yeah. and yeah. not to compare ramdas with uh, his uh-huh. holiness ramdas certainly had some attributes that yeah. that yeah. were pretty amazing and i i used to say Many's a time I have said either in podcasts or, or at retreats when I first met Ramdas, he was able to set aside Richard Alpert and Ramdas, and just I was the center of yeah, the yeah, universe. That he yeah. had that gift, yeah, you know, and it wasn't like it was moment to moment for his yeah. life. Although after his stroke <laughs> and when he was in Maui, it certainly manifested in a, in yeah. a larger way. But, yeah, that uh, was, I mean, that's what got me to India, yep. basically, yeah. was that uh, ability that he, uh, there was such trust, intuitive trust that that happened. And that happens with everyone. If you, mm-hmm. you even give it a shot where you stop thinking, well, how can I, uh, well, I got two minutes now, I can talk right. to that's this. Exactly. Where, you know, and, and once you let go of all that stuff, the... the the way in which someone starts to feel way more comfortable is is visceral, really. Right. right. Yeah. And again, I mean
0: he's right in that in that kind of situation that you described, which is very powerful. And I think that's that's one of the great powers that people like his holiness has. Yeah, you know, and why he's transformative for so many people. Yeah. Um To really see again where mindfulness comes in, because most of us are not quite at the level that His Holiness is at yet. Uh, Wild understatement, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we, our attention to another person might not be total, but if we're mindful of our own inner process, we can we can watch when our mind starts. Just people are talking and and then our mind starts interjecting or thinking about what it's going to say in response yeah, or yeah, getting yeah, ahead yeah. of ourselves. Yeah. If we're not mindful of what's going on in our minds, we're not going to see that. And then drop mm. back again to listening. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. I think mindfulness is really the key to cultivating these very qualities.
1: Mm. <laughs> and I think you wrote a pretty good book book called mindfulness so everybody out there if you haven't heard me say it, it's it's you know maybe i'm going on to the 200th time get joseph's book it's called mindfulness and it is absolutely complete in terms of uh and uh understandable i mean that's not the right word but uh comprehensible yeah. comprehensible <laughs> that's that. i'll take that i'll buy that uh yes yeah, so um uh, and also, do you, I don't know if you remember, when you came to teach in Maui once, um, you were going to go uh, do a solo session, you know, teaching session, and you said to me, what should I talk about? I said, what do you mean? Mindfulness. (laughs) You go, mindfulness? That's like uh, three weeks, not uh, 75 minutes. I said, well, maybe boil it down. And you did. I give that out, Joseph, Uh I swear, to people who are looking for some way to get a Uh little bit uh, more understanding. Uh, And what you just said is so clear uh, about seeing the motivations while you are emptying. Yeah, yeah. That that process to me is 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 the most important thing. Yeah. Again, it's not all or nothing. It's happening, it's exactly. and you have the intention, yeah. and and you see, you know, where your shortfall is. Yeah, you yeah. Know. yeah. You
0: know, just just a kind of further little hint with with you know a way of helping us do that. Uh, when when if we notice that our mind is just getting ahead of ourselves, you know, and we're not okay. in that really deep listening mode uh just in that very moment and seeing that i think coming back to mindfulness of the body just being aware of ourselves sitting there mm, mm, that yeah. brings us back you know and it's it's not complicated yeah. and it's, you don't have to be you know some fantastic meditator to do that yeah. it's just the body so apparent but mm. it's getting into the habit you know and the buddha he, he emphasized so much mindfulness of the body oh yeah you know, and yeah, it's just something we can practice throughout the day. It, it doesn't require any special time. You know, whatever we're doing, the body's the body's there, obviously, mm. and it's not some necessarily subtle object that we have to have but, super samadhi to become aware of. Right. Uh, yeah. So establishing that habit uh, in in my yeah. life has been hugely helpful.
1: Mm. Yeah, uh some people often people talk about well it's very hard for me to go and sit for a few minutes every day. I can't seem to get into a regular uh program and so on. And I usually say to them, well you have a lot of habitual patterns, just make this one one of them so you never have to think about it. You just go <laughs> sit, you know, replace no. the So there's one other little suggestion for people who
0: are finding a hard time establishing a regular practice. Mm. So this is something that absolutely anybody can do. Anybody. Mm -hmm. And that is making the commitment to at least get into the meditative posture once a day.
1: Hmm.
0: Doesn't matter how long. You get into the posture, you get up. You fulfilled <laughs> your commitment. So anybody can do that. Hmm. But what one finds is that once one is in the posture, it's not that hard to sit for however long. Maybe it'll be five minutes. Maybe it'll be half an hour or an hour or whatever. That the hard part is the disengaging Mm. from our busyness. That's that's the piece that's hard. It's not hard to sit once you're in the posture, you know, but instead of burdening oneself with, oh, I have to sit this length of time, and if I can't sit that, then it's not worth doing. This is the absolute minimum. (laughs) just get into the posture <laughs> <laughs> that's great but i've gotten a lot of feedback that often that's enough really to oh. begin establishing the
1: regularity you know of, of a practice mm. that's cool i love that i love that no do you got another one for us
2: yeah we have time for oh yeah okay. i one i, more I um I was looking today. The last time the the three of us had our, our little chat was, uh, was was just early February twenty twenty. Um, right before things... we didn't
1: do anything in twenty one. We do no. once a year. No, oh, no, God. it's been a while.
2: Oh, it's really? been a while. Yeah, I thought so you forgot
1: was... all about me, Robbie. <laughs> oh God, no! I never, <laughs> never.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, Joseph, I, I just want to know what what is what was your experience of. COVID times like, and uh, I don't know if there was yeah. any particular practice that you relied well, on to, to get through such a turbulent time. Yeah.
0: You know, in a way, I feel very fortunate uh, living in Barry. you know, which is where IMS, the center, is. It's a very small town. The center itself is out of town, and the town itself is is, is tiny. So it was just really easy to um you know i could be walking outside walking in the woods had i had a little uh small uh bubble you know of a, a few friends and so within that bubble we would get together uh and being who i am uh I love being alone. (laughs) So that was not a hardship for me. Other people, you know, might have felt that aspect more troublesome. But for me, it was like, oh, this is nice. (laughs) So so the, the challenging part was, for me, feeling quite really at ease and at the same time knowing what was going on all around you know and that was interesting to okay how do i hold you know hold all of this uh because it wasn't affecting me so much personally but i was very aware you know of the devastating impact for so many people uh so that was the (laughs) that was the dance that i I was going through Uh Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I, I felt a similar way. I, I you know, I I worked from home before the pandemic started and uh, I didn't want to go out and be that social anyway. So it was yeah. like, yeah, this is this is okay right. for me, but I understand yeah. it's yeah, it's such horrible suffering yeah. going on all around me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. maybe maybe it'll uh, uh boost uh the volunteers for introverts. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> yeah. uh, um, i have one thing mm-hmm. that uh i think we we, we still have time for mm-hmm. we can try to see if you can uh after this we can get you to lead us in a little meditation but mm-hmm. um you've talked about something called and this fits in with everything that we've been discussing around mindfulness and it's uh It's enormous, transformative uh, capability. Uh, You called it the shadow of concepts. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, It's from a talk. It may be from some time back. It's on Be Here Now Network. Joseph, by the way, everybody, has a wonderful podcast. We take talks of his and uh, from... Boy, over decades, you've been. I saw one that was from uh, when you did the thing with Ramdas in '74 in Naropa. It's amazing. Yeah? Wow! Just to say that it's not my pe- podcast; it's your podcast,
0: <laughs> which I'm very grateful for. For the whole to be here now, network putting it on, uh, because left to my own devices, it wouldn't You'd be. Around,
1: be <laughs> so you would be walking in the woods. Yes. <laughs> um. So the, idea, so the idea that uh, the world of uh, mental constructs that we create on yeah. a moment-to-moment basis and the attachment we have to those concepts uh, as if it's God speaking the word to us is so strong uh, that we take it to be reality and, and do not question it. And to me, that gets us into an awful lot of uh, problems uh, that that belief system it's like belief in thoughts. we all understand that and the cor- cor- corrosiveness of that uh but this the I love this term the shadow of concepts because of our gigantic belief. Can you extrapolate that a little bit? Mm. so uh, this is a hugely important point. Mm.
0: In the whole understanding of meditation, and insight, um, and really awakening. So, um, I'm trying to think that uh, what's the best way into this because this is a huge topic. So, I'll get, I'll just give a few examples, mm. and then. T- I think it won't be difficult to extrapolate that to, to many other things. But the first one is just something that uh, my teacher Meningi said very often. It's a line that uh, is both so obvious but so undervalued or not, not even seen. He would say, the thought of your mother is not your mother. It's a thought. Mm. <laughs> you know, and you could substitute anything for mother mm. the thought of it is not the thing itself it's just the thought mm. so that's kind of in the most general way you know how we, how we create all kinds of thoughts and concepts about things which I'm not suggesting that they, they are never useful because obviously we use our thought process. And we we need to we need to use concepts to navigate the world. The important point is that we see them for what they are, rather than taking them to be the reality. Absolute itself. reality. Yeah. So, uh, so I'll give another example, and this is this is. Um, just an example that can come from a very simple meditative exercise, but it also points to why this distinction is so important. Mm. So in walking meditation, you know, which, is, which is a big part of the practice, we're just walking and the instruction is to be mindful, to be aware you know, of the movement, of the foot or the leg and you know, touching the ground. So the shadow of concept, and this is quite common, especially toward the beginning of one's practice, but even to, even for people quite experienced. So we can be walking and feeling the leg moving and even being aware of the sensations of the movement, but still very often there is a subtle overlay of a sense of or image of the leg in the foot, right? So even as we're walking, we're experiencing the sensations through the filter of that image or concept of foot or leg, you know, and it That's either very strong and solid, or it might be quite, is the word, diaphanous,
1: Mm.
0: you know, very uh, not not so solid, but still there. Mm. Now, why is this important? You know, so what? The problem with not seeing the difference between the concepts, the shadow of concept, and the direct experience, is that the concept doesn't change. Leg, I have a leg today, I have a leg tomorrow, I had a leg yesterday. If we're seeing that experience through the filter of a leg or a foot, even as we're walking, we're not fully seeing the changing, momentary, impermanent nature of the experience. Mm. There's no sensation called leg, so we're not feeling the leg. We're not feeling foot, right? We're feeling, you know, pressure or vibration or heaviness or lightness. These are the sensations that are being felt. As I say, there's no sensation called leg or foot. That's the con- That's the shadow of the concept which we're overlaying on top of the flow of changing sensations. Mm. To the degree that we don't see that, we are reinforcing to some degree some level of permanence because the concept, the word, doesn't change. And not only that, and this goes to an even more subtle point. When we're in the world of concept and leg, for example, of foot, it's an easy, it's an easy next step to my leg, my foot. And so we're, we're reinforcing this whole sense of self, of I. Whereas we would not be saying my pressure my lightness <laughs> You know, when we're on the level of what's actually happening the understanding of what is for many people the most difficult aspect of the teachings of selflessness when we're on that level of direct experience without that shadow of concept then the selfless nature of it all becomes much more apparent mm. So it, it it has very profound implications, and this is a very simple example, just from walking and foot and leg. But as, as you as you suggested, you know, so many of our opinions and thoughts, and you know, we just solidify them in, into thinking that that is the reality, mm. rather than seeing that's just a thought in our minds, and it may be accurate, it may be inaccurate, but it's not the thing itself. Yeah uh so this this is really a key point in the whole uh unfolding of the meditative process yeah uh
1: our friend bob thurman at one point was talking about uh the power of of ignorance right the maya yeah and he said but there's one other thing that's that makes that seem like bs and that is where you actually think you know something, <laughs> you actually believe in as something, as as a permanent right. uh, resident, so to right. speak, you know. That's, well, that's why uh, right.
0: I don't know that you remember. Did, I don't know you ever met uh, uh, Sunsinim, you know, the founder of the Providence Zen Center and no, Korean no, Korean no. Zen no. Master. Uh-huh. Uh, and he had. Uh, I would say his English was not fluent, mm-hmm. you know. So, mm-hmm. uh, but very expressive, and and he he had a whole teaching which he called "Don't Know Mind." You know, don't, just know mind. Keep don't, don't know mind. Don't know mind. mind.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, So yeah. it points points yeah. to what you yeah. you were saying, right? Bernie Glassman as well, right? Yeah. I don't. And "Don't Know Mind" was part of oh, especially his, in uh, the last uh, years. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah and great. also,
0: you know that famous line from uh, suzuki roshi from zen mind beginners mind uh, something like in the expert's mind there are few possibilities in the <laughs> beginner's mind there are many or yeah. that's a paraphrase but yeah uh, that was the basic point yeah it's wide yeah. open um so one la- one last little yeah phrase <laughs> another one of my favorites by just talking about attachment to our own viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from Bankai, who was, I think, a 16th century Japanese Zen master. Very mm-hmm. iconoclastic, not not a traditional one. <laughs> he had one line. He said, don't side with yourself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's the you best. Know, I, I, that would oh, be such a, a good be...
0: reminder as we're getting yeah. caught up in whatever yeah. conflicts <laughs> we do.
1: Oh, that's, side terrific. With <laughs> <laughs> that's terrific. That's terrific. I love
2: that. I, I want to run for president and use that as my slogan.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, really, yeah. really, really. So, Joseph, we're at the end of uh, mm. our time, but uh, can you uh, you lead us in uh, in a meditation? Sure, a few um. minutes would be great. And you talked about, by the way, uh, here's a plug, a shameless plug. Uh, we have a, a Ramdas Be here now a New app, which we it 's in testing phase that Noah is a big part of, and he created what 's called a a microdose from Ramdas <laughs> and others like yourself, where he, he you know great sound bites. so you, you program it so that three times a day you get one of these microdoses to stop you in your tracks during the day mm-hmm. so you mentioned you know uh, I think you talked about it what they doing the embody meditation at certain points so if you feel it yeah yeah. uh, that'd be great yeah yeah Um,
0: so take a take a comfortable but alert posture however however that may be generally in our tradition we sit with our eyes closed but it doesn't really matter one can also sit with the eyes just slightly open if that's what you're accustomed to And begin by simply taking a few deep breaths as a way of settling into the body. And don't be afraid to really breathe deeply two or three times. And then simply settle into the awareness of the body, letting the breath find its own natural rhythm. Remembering that this is not a breathing exercise. It's an exercise in awareness. Just sit and know you're sitting, feeling the body posture. A phrase that many people have found helpful is there is a body. Just intermittently you might repeat that phrase in the mind, there is a body. And it's simply a reminder to settle into the awareness of the whole body sitting. And within the framework, the larger framework, that is a body. You may become aware of the sensations of the body breathing. There's no need to narrow the attention necessarily on the feeling of the breath, although one can do that. But often people find it more easeful to keep the larger context of the whole body sitting and simply be aware of the sensations of the body breathing within that larger framework. There is a body. Become aware of the sensations of the body breathing. You can also feel any other sensations that may appear and call your attention. And as you feel the different sensations in the body, notice what happens to them as you become aware. Notice whether they are changing in some way And stay alert for the appearance of any thoughts or images in the mind. Simply becoming aware that the mind is thinking, or if it's an image, seeing. And notice what happens to the thought as you become aware of it. There is a body. Aware of the sensations of the body breathing. Mindful of other sensations that call your attention. Noticing their changing nature. and staying alert for the appearance of any thoughts or images that arise in the mind. Sometimes a soft mental note of thinking or seeing helps to strengthen the mindfulness of them. You can also settle back into a very spacious awareness, becoming mindful of any sounds that may be arising. staying grounded in the awareness of the body and aware of any aspect of experience that becomes predominant, calls our attention And we can suffuse the whole field of mindfulness with the feeling of loving kindness, friendliness towards our own experience, and well-wishing for all others. May all beings be at peace. Before we end, <laughs> uh, I'd like to share a little haiku poem, oh. which arose in my mind when I was on retreat. Huh. But I think it could be a basic instruction for all meditation practice. Bird song in the empty sky of my mind. And I think if one could keep that image an experience, this I mean it's a it's a common experience of bird song or any sounds in the empty sky of my mind. You know, and so can we have everything be a bird song Mm. in that empty sky of awareness?
1: As we would say, Ram Ram. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Hindu. Yeah, that's beautiful, Joseph. Really beautiful. I thank you so much.
0: You're very welcome. Always a pleasure.
1: Really, yeah. really. So everyone, of course, you can uh, listen to Joseph's uh, podcast, go to Be Here Now Network, Site Hour, it is called. And, uh, and then uh, one thing I happened to uh, notice today somehow was the wonderful course that Joseph and Sharon Salzberg put together uh, around the practice of Vipassana, insight meditation, through Sounds True, actually. I think if you go to Sounds True, you'll easily find it because many people say, well, where do I go? Because I'm always suggesting that this this particular practice, for me, has been fundamental for all of the years. that mm. uh, I met Joseph in Bodh Gaya, I won't say when, but (laughs) a long time ago, uh, where he introduced me to his teacher, Manindraji. And uh, so, yes, we'll put a link up, actually. We'll do better than just saying go to Sounds True. We'll put a link Mm -hmm. up because this is uh, something that can really help with foundationally. Mm -hmm. This is uh, practice. You, You... take advantage of it that's all i can say <laughs> okay and joseph's book mindfulness will be there too so again thank you so much and thank you noah for joining us yeah, yeah. and um this is uh, mind rolling on be here now network go to be here now and just experience the uh, wonderful variety of different uh, dharma teachers thought leaders and so on so We shall see you next week.